0: the number of environments I go to that people say oh the best time is you know when everyone's gone home at six o'clock at night I can really crack on and do something what is going on well if you know that's if you know that that produces a fantastic output why on earth are we not why why aren't you scheduling your day like that why are you not saying here's some focused time two hours in the morning two hours in the afternoon let's let's crack on and get some stuff finished
1: hello and welcome to the melting pot I'm your host Dominic Monkhouse The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm chatting to Andy Watt, who is the Managing Director at Goldrat UK. Ellie Goldrat was the author of a book called The Goal. And I must confess, I hadn't come across it until I read Justin Rothmarsh's The Machine. And he talked about managing constraints, and I thought that was really interesting. So I read The Goal, um, and then in a conversation with Vern Harnish, author of Scaling Up, Vern said to me that he thought The Goal might be one of the most important business books ever written. And then Andy and I are chatting today, and he said he thinks it's number 12 in the all-time business book charts. Fascinating book. Great conversation with Andy. So the Goldratt book, The Goal, is talking about how to manage constraints in a manufacturing or an engineering business. And today Andy and I chat about a forge in South Wales and how it's acts you know, in a manufacturing capacity. But also we talk about what it might look like in engineering or software development or digital agency in a business which is running project work through and the capacity might be the engineer or the designer. And so I think very, very applicable to many of the clients or CEOs that I work with or speak to. And, and also Andy says he often has a sly bet with the owner who, you know, that they've identified the constraint and that the constraint won't be running. So we talk a little bit about why is it that people know the solution to the problem, but somehow can't fix the problem. Um, So we talk a little bit about that and about how there's a, a belief problem that needs to be overcome. And to overcome it, first of all, you have to realize that the constraint might be a belief and not actually a thing. So very interesting conversation with Andy. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure you will too.
0: So I'm I'm Andy Watt. Uh, I'm the managing director of Goldrat in the UK. Uh, I'm an engineer. I'm a former operations and engineering director. Um, and the last twenty years, I've been building Goldrat up. And um, I'm here basically to share some ideas with you, Dom. And, and what do you, wh- where does Goldrat spring from? What's the, uh, so the yeah, of? Goldratt, yeah, it does seem like a strange name. So um, so Gold Goldrat in the UK was established by Ellie back in 1989. Ellie Goldrat was the uh, Israeli physicist and author of the book, The Goal, which I think is number 12 in the all-time best-selling business books. And um, he established – it was the second place he came to. Um, he said it was the hardest place as well to implement anything in the UK. I haven't found it as bad as, as, as he said it was, but um, – but I joined him in two thousand and yeah, I had a, having fun for the last twenty years doing it. So, so how did why did a physicist end up
1: writing a uh,
0: all time best selling business book? So he did his PhD in the flow of liquids and um, his his friend happened to run a manufacturing company and it wasn't doing too well and he said, oh, do you think you could do you think you could help me on a, I'm running this factory. You know about flow. You know about capacity. Can you come and help me? So he really thought, okay, I'll, I'll rock up and have a look. He was, he was nothing if not arrogant. Um, so uh, so he, could, he could definitely say, yeah, I could, of course I can fix anything. So he, he rocked into this company not knowing a thing about manufacturing and checked it out and basically said, okay, well, it's just the same as any flow of liquids. Basically, there's a pinch point. Uh, there's a point that, that flows slower than everywhere else. So let me go find that. Go, well, okay. So I'll go find it. And that's not working. Okay. And this is really interesting because I go to hundreds of manufacturing plants and that's what I find all day long is people turn around and tell you actually where the constraint is and you walk down on the shop floor and they, and it's never working. And it's, and and that's normally my little bet that I have with those people is that when we go down there that it's not working they go oh no it's bound to be working and it's like no it's never working anyway i digress (laughs) um so so ellie Ellie finds the pinch point and goes well let's get that working to start with and so he gets it working um obviously output goes up um but then he's then things aren't there ready for the machine to work so he then basically says we've got to do something about the release now and really fundamentally, it's how you release work into the system, which is really important. So we release it at the rate at which the constraint can produce it. So shoving it in doesn't it doesn't make it come out, which is a lesson that most people don't understand, whether it be in production or in engineering or in marketing. We just go, here's another great idea, work on it. It's like, well, I've already got 5,000 other things that I'm working on that are also good ideas. So And I can't do them all. So release mechanism is really, really important. So Ellie basically wrote a little algorithm. For his for his mate you know in the early days of computing way back in the in the late 70s beginning of the 80s and it and it effectively just said this is how i'm going to sh- how i'm going to schedule a constraint and this is what i'm going to do to release work into the system and this is what i'm going to do at the back end to make sure it goes out on time and he then basically wrote um built that software up and to sell that software he wrote a book called the gold um, and it's a pure marketing book to sell his and promote his software at the time <laughs> um, does does the software still exist? Do you st- do you uh, still have a version? It of It does that? not exist. No, no, no. Um, there was a there was a a very early version running still, um, in South Wales actually up till about three or four years ago. But it was DOS based. Um, right. But, uh, but the algorithm is fairly simple. Um, OPT was the name of his computer. Was the name of the software company, and actually grew very rapidly.
1: Aha! And so you—you uh, you said you when you go into a manufacturing plant,
0: you know they've—they've they've read the book. Is that why uh, they ring you? Yeah, many of them. Many of them have read the book. Um, it hasn't solved their problem. No, it's amazing. Ellie used to always start his conferences. Bear in mind that people paid money to come and see him, so you'd have thought they'd have read the books. So he always started his his conference with, you know, there may be five hundred people in the room. Put your hand up. Who's read the book? So, you know, obviously 490 people put their hand up and then he goes, okay, so if you've if you've implemented something, um, keep your hand up. If not, put your hand down of which 95% of the people all put their hand down. And it's like, so hardly anybody, you know, this is real frustration to early. How come all these people say, it's a great book and I really want to go and hear this guy speak because it's such a good book and I'm going to do absolutely nothing about it. It's quite astounding.
1: But- the world is full of diet books and people who wish they were slimmer. Yeah, my wife got or, lots. Or... <laughs> I've, I've almost read every one. It's like there's it's there's a there's, you know you've got to have the desire to do it, the real desire to change, and then be prepared to put the effort in. I and mean, when I often say to clients, "Look, if you work with me, I'm going to make your life harder, not easier, because I'm going to make you consciously incompetent at lots
0: of things today that you're not given a second thought to." Absolutely, and it's implementation that's a tough thing. Look, the logic of saying, um, okay, we've got one bit that's uh, running slower than everything else, even even that's tr- quite tricky. When I ap- actually implemented it in the company I, I was working for the first time, then I, as I'm an engineer, you know, I, I like to look at the facts and and things like that. So I'm going right, where where is my constraint? And Delia's just say, look, just choose somewhere. It doesn't matter. Just choose. Go with your intuition. Your intuition's your intuition's bound to be pretty good. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. I need to go through all these figures. So go through all the figures in the computer system and work out that it could be here, it could be there, it could be there. And what what happens is you don't like the answer to that one. You don't like the answer to that one. So you go with your guts, gut instinct anyway. So it's like, okay, so what? Why why is it better to go with your 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 intuition? Because we want something to. Control release around them to get our focus on. Okay, so it's the same thing in a project environment. It's like, well, where's the constraint? Well, it depends on mix of work sometimes, you know. So it's quite tricky. So just decide somewhere, get control of that, get the output up massively on that, and release work at, at the rate at which that works out. That's very, very, very simple. Now, what's going to happen is if that's not the constraint, is the constraint will show up because I now have control uh-huh. of release.
1: aha uh-huh. So you're going to have to give me some more concrete examples. So, talk. Give, have, you got, have you got a real example you could yeah, talk
0: yeah. me through? So, interesting. In a, I, I was in a forging company. So, effectively, imagine in South Wales, there's this forge. that has been there for hundreds of years. All the houses are built around it. Um, all the people work in the work come from the village. You work in the forge. Um, they hate the village next to them. Um, you know, it's just typical <laughs> South South Wales sort of um, sort of. Sort of place that's been there many, many hundreds of years, and you walk in there, and the process for forging is fairly simple. You basically hit heat metal up. It's quite interesting to go and see it, and and they basically hit it really, really hard um, with with a, a hammer, but it's a big hammer. Uh, and then they turn, then men actually turn it this red hot ring, and then they hit it with a hammer again. Men turn the red hot ring again. It's like going back hundreds of years. Um, then he goes through a few heat treatments. Um, and then, then you basically machine it because you want to relieve the stresses before it gets, goes out to be finished machined on, um, you know, Rolls Royce or the like. So the process is really simple. It's like, heat it up in a furnace, hit it hard with a a forge, treat it, machine it. You go, okay, so let's go walk around. Let's find the, let's, you know, where, where's the constraint? Well, you know, the name of this company had forgings in the name. Okay. Um, there's not many places that exist with big hammers that need get planning permission anywhere close to in this country. So you know, I, I went with an inkling that really, the you know, I really do hope that the forge is the constraint here, a big hammer. <laughs> Otherwise, this could be worrying. And then you go out on the plant and you go, uh, okay, so let's go and see if the forge is the forge is running because it's fairly easy to hit, see it running because it hits the yeah you know you can hear it the the building shutter. Um, but I didn't hear a lot of the. The building wasn't shuddering very much so you go out onto the forge and you go well nothing's happening Uh, bear in mind you've got men and forklifts and all these between the you know they've got many furnaces feeding one forge um and nothing absolutely nothing's happening there you go well every time that hits that's that's like thousands of pounds that you're making that's a very you know you can easily draw the parallel between money being made and for and a forge being hit and then you wander off going well the the forge should be the constraint, but it appears not to be. So where, where on earth is constraining this, this place? And you're looking for work in progress is all. It's a big, a big clue. So where's the work in progress? Are oh, the furnace is full. No, they're not full. So it's not in front of the forge. So you look at the back end, and you go, and there's a machine shop here, which is but doing very, very basic machining. It's basically breaking after you forge something. It produces black, a black sort of deposit on the outside. So it sort of oxidizes the the metal and it doesn't do the machines a lot of good. So you need to break that surface, and then the then the the, the uh, metal moves, and then you can final uh-huh. machine it. Uh, and then so it's a very doing a very simple machining process. But the cues cues enormous there. Going, what is going on? Why is a machine shop of which you can get ten a penny? Um, there's many of them all around. Even if you subcontract it, and it does cost you money, but you want to do it in in house. Why on earth is this the constraint? It doesn't make any sense at all. It has to be the forge. Um, So we need to try to make it into the forge being the constraint. So we have to find out why is this thing not going? Why is the machine shop not going? Why is the machines not running in the machine shop? Um, So often it's for real simple things. Um, I don't have all the things that I need, even though it's just a, a tool and uh, a couple of tools and maybe a fixture. Um, they're not there. So you get people humming around on the machine shop, looking for fixtures and tools and changing them over and looking for parts and moving the parts to where they should be. And most of the time a constraint is going, I'd say less than 20 to 30% of the time. Um, and so then we go down onto the onto the shop floor, we get the machine shop running Sixty percent of the time and then suddenly the constraints in the forge are where exactly where it needs to be. so then we can start to make some real money yeah a massive improvement in profitability, Double. revenue and profitability. yeah, Double the output of the plant, profitability goes through the roof. I made about five million arrears in this company and we we are into them in four months, which is which gives you a massive problem by the way, because that means I have capacity now to do an extra million a month, which yeah. I don't have sales for. Well, the constraint moves somewhere else, doesn't it? It does. It moves to moves to sales, which it always moves to. Uh, and this is this is why Ellie got Ellie got bored. I managed to conf- actually the Ellie would refuse to walk around a manufacturing facility, and I managed to get him to walk around Bentley. Um, and and that's the first one in 20 years he'd been around because he he refused to go to another non-constraint. Although it was you know it's it's temporarily a constraint, but his view was the constraint is the market. Um, is sales. So, and so, so I, that that I think I just want to reflect on that before we move on. So, if the
1: constraint in the business isn't sales, it should always be sales. It Has to be sales, and it has to be sales. And so, if it's if it's not sales, then then we've got a problem. You've got you've you've got work to do. And I guess I guess if it's sales, then um,
0: we bring Justin in, and and Absolutely. he brings and in the, the, he, same, the same thing. It's there's no different. It's like well, how much work does a salesperson do on selling? And they go, well, 20%. Okay, let's make that, make that 80. 80%. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We get four times uh, more sales. Well,
1: well I, I, I often say to people, I've never been in a company that's not hitting its sales number, but is doing the activity no it's just like it's like it's the same thing it's the same thing with the constraint you know it's exactly it's exactly that the people were paying to sell aren't actually selling somehow we've got them doing something else but but that machine that forge in south wales you walk down onto the shop floor and to you it's like okay this is you know why why is it not obvious to the guys running that plant
0: i'm still amazed (laughs) you know i see in the uh, as I said, I I I'd, I'd normally give a little wager with the owner of the business um, to say, let, let's go, and, you know, we sit in his office in those days and go, okay, so where do, where do you think the constraint is? And he ums and ahs and says it could be here, it could be there. So maybe he says it's the forger or the machine shop. And we go, okay, fair enough. Let's go to both of them. Um, I'll give you two out of, you know, there's not many places in there. I'll go, give you two chances. Um, let's walk down and let's see if it's see if it's running. and and it's not, never. I go, why, why is that not running? And he goes, "Oh, I don't know. We'll give it. Let's give it 15 minutes. Let's give it 20 minutes." It's like, what? This is you. This is bonkers. You know, every hour that that machine doesn't run, do you know how much it costs you? And and you can do the maths quite easily. Um, so if you take a 20 million business and you say it costs me 10 million on materials, then that means that that I make, I generate 10 million of what we call throughput, but that's the value add-in that you're doing. You're adding 10 million. Um, and if you say, I've got one machine that is my forge, um, then that forge is generating 10 million every single day. And if you work, you know, 50 weeks a year, then you're at what, 20,000 pounds a week which means five days a week, that's 4,000 pounds. And soon, you know, you, you're talking lots of money. Um, if you're running one shift of eight hours, that's 500 quid. Um, it's like, this is huge amount, huge amount of money that you're throwing down the drain. 500 quid an hour. And people don't understand the, that you're giving money away when that's not working. They don't have that in their psyche. They're not constraint obsessed, which is one of the behaviors we want to try to get people to be. How do you, you know, be obsessed about the constraint? Um, don't ignore it. Don't, you should know what's going on on the constraint in your business. And so those
1: guys in Wales, you,
0: you sorted the machine shop out, so the
1: constraint went from being the machine shop to the forge, and then the forge isn't busy, which is now a sales problem.
0: Yeah, but we want and, to keep. The, and, I want to keep the constraint in the forge, so it's not although okay. it's not although it's not the constraint, it's the it's the capacity limit, limiting resource, and I want to make sure i have always I'm going to keep it in the forge because it makes the most sense. So I'm going to choose a strategic place to position it. Then I'm going to sell. Okay. Then I'm going to force my salespeople to sell for the most amount of value through the forge. Okay. And so is that understanding the 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 value through the
1: forge? That's another
0: challenge. Yeah, but it's but it's fairly simple. You because because you are going, what's the material price? What's the selling price? Okay, that's my. And how long does okay. it spend on the on the forge? You're saying so? Even though, and this is where, you know, Ellie did. In the haystack syndrome, for example, he wrote a very simple exercise, P and Q exercise, where he basically gives you a challenge of which how to make the company profitable out of two products. Um, it looks like one product is miles better; it has a higher sal- selling price, higher margin. Um, there's, and the other one looks much worse. Um, but he, but the one with the higher selling price and the higher margin spends more time on the constraint. Okay which means that actually if i do the one with less margin and a lower sales price i get more throughput for the time it spends on the constraint so i make more money um, okay. so it's a completely different way of thinking about it and therefore when you're selling it it's a completely different way of selling it most sales people go brilliant i sold this massive deal loads of margin but i've just destroyed the capacity on the forge
1: ah yes bad move and so how do we apply this flow dynamics is that is that what it is? Is it flow
0: and capacity? It's very simple. Flow and capacity, and and it's the same in in a in an engineering business or in a marketing business when you're doing projects is exactly the same. I, I you know I, I laugh when I get to any project well, because we do projects as well. Because Eddie wrote a book called Critical Chain, which was his follow-up to the Goal about project environments. But basically, you walk into any project environments and you go, okay, chaps, how many um, you know how much overloaded are we? How many projects have you got? And there's there's it just, it never ceases to amaze me. You go, well, we've got like 20 engineers and we've got 100 projects. It's like, right, that, that mask doesn't add up. It, it's just, <laughs> and if, I, I bet everybody's busy all the time. Oh, yeah, every single person's busy. Well, that doesn't add up either because you can't keep everybody busy all the time. Um, the only way I can do that is by releasing work that can't get through the constraints. So there's going to be cues. Um, just in, so I need to actually do something counterintuitive in engineering environments and go from time to time. Some engineers are not going to be busy. Um, that's pretty tricky.
1: Well, I read uh, I read a book a little while ago called "Make Your Work Visible" or "Making Work Visible," and there she made I think the author made the same counterintuitive point, which is what you should be looking for in terms of planned uh capacity management and she said if your capacity if your planned capacity goes from 60 to 80 your whip doubles and if it goes from 80 to 90 your whip doubles and if it goes from 90 to 95 your whip doubles again and then of course nothing's coming out the other end
0: yeah
1: and so i guess that's the same thing people think well if everyone's busy all the time that's how i maximize my revenue
0: yeah and i'm being and- really efficient and effective and it's like absolutely not now you can't have engineers stopping work but what you can have is them stopping work on projects so we have the analogy of a of rocks, gravel, and sand. So, if you think of an engineer's capacity as a bucket, you throw the rocks in, but there's still lots of gaps. So, you've still got lots of spare capacity. So, you throw some gravel in, there's still quite a lot, and then you throw some sand in. So, the analogy suits the project environment. He's saying rocks are things that are part of a project that absolutely have to be done. But in engineering, there's always other things to be done. There's always, you know, the, the current product, the improvement I need to make over there, or, or this thing that needs to work on which isn't a major project isn't so constrained about due date yeah doesn't matter if i do it today or tomorrow um so i have some flexibility there so i can fit these things in so you want to try to maximize the capacity in a different way so projects you go like a like a relay runner i get the baton i go as fast as i can i hand the baton to the next person okay that's the sort of road runner, relay runner mentality that we want we want to start if i start something i want to finish it Um, and I've just gone as fast as I possibly can. Um, but once I've handed that baton over, then I fill my capacity up with other things that aren't so due date constrained. Which there's always a backlog of
1: stuff. Absolutely. That needs doing. And the problem is that normally those rocks aren't getting handled because people are just getting busy on the, on the sand or the gravel.
0: Cause it's, you know, they come into work in the morning and they just open their email yeah and and that's a massive distraction and it's about how you manage those interruptions for people and it's about you know and it's you know part of the mental it's, it's a behavioral change it's got absolutely really not not very much to do with processes most processes are very simple it's a change of behavior to go first of all you need to check that I can actually finish if I start that because because many there are many tasks on people's desks that that one thing is they don't know what good looks like i don't know what what Done is yeah. So yeah. I start a task. I don't know what finished even looks like. Um, so that's a that's the first thing to absolutely get. Let us get a very good definition of done. Once I understand uh-huh. that, then I can check. Do I have everything I need to complete that done? If not, then I've then I better go get it because I can't start. Um, so give yeah. it to somebody else to go get me the stuff that I need. And and once I start it, I want to I want to finish it. And I don't I can't have interruptions. I can't have an email clicking i can't have a phone call i can't have this is the hottest priority so we have to have some focus time where we can show ourselves away and and do two hours the the number of environments i go to that people say oh the best time is you know when everyone's gone home at six o'clock at night i can really crack on and do something what is going on well if you know that's if you know that that produces a fantastic output why on earth are we not why why aren't you scheduling your day like that why are you not saying here's some focus time two hours in the morning two hours in the afternoon let's Let's crack on and get some stuff finished.
1: Oh, well, we used to have that when we'd we'd sit down with the account managers and we'd say, um, we're going to do some client health checks. And you'd get to the end of the month and you'd say, well, you all agree client health checks are important. Have you done them? No, we're too busy. Busy doing what? We're just busy. So you go, okay, well, you're not allowed to look at your email till 12 o'clock. Yep. You've got to do client health checks, and when you've done five client health checks, you can open your email or something else, whatever. It doesn't matter because that's the thing you need to do. And then, and people go, oh, well, you, you're you're forcing them to schedule their time. You're treating them like children." It's like, no, we're just getting everybody focused on what the most important thing is and helping them do it, Absolutely. helping them succeed. Like, what does yep. you know what what is it? What's important? What does done look like?
0: And and what does good look like for them though? That's the important thing because in the absence, in lots of engineering departments um and project arenas people don't actually know what doing a good job is like so they make their own they make their own view up doing a good job is being busy all the time or doing a good job is doing the thing that the boss just walked past just because he didn't know what else to say to me was oh how are you doing with the xyz and suddenly i think oh that's project number one so i better start better put everything else aside because <laughs> the boss has asked me about that one so i'll quickly pick that one up and do some stuff on that that's not what good is and the bosses in the boardroom the next day saying, what is happening with this project? It's going nowhere. It's like absolutely crazy. Most of the time, the work is not being done on the task. It's sitting there doing nothing.
1: And so the constraint is the engineers or the people yep. working on the project?
0: Typically, typically, it'd be an engineer and you tend to find it would be a group of engineers. And you tend to find that there are a few people who are the real key engineers in the business and they're the ones that are super overloaded um and they never finish anything nothing's ever finished it's quite amazing the whole mentality so what do, you do? What, what, so what do we
1: do we we take off them any task that they're not the only person that can
0: do it yeah so part of it is is give let Actually, we take off everything we tend to of them tasks. We give them absolutely <laughs> nothing to do.
1: <laughs> okay. That is absolutely counterintuitive. Go on, yeah. carry on. So they're the
0: super engineers. So I, take, I, I don't want to load them with the super engineers with tasks. I want them to be available when the normal engineers, when, I, when us normal engineers amongst people um, are stuck, don't know what to do. I need, uh, you know, like the fire brigade to come in and, and fix it. Um, so they're instantly uh-huh. available and can fix that task that improves flow and it helps to move things that off of them that they wouldn't normally say, oh, I'm the only person that can do this. No, no, no. We're going to give it to we're going to give it with some criteria so that, you know, let's make sure he knows what good looks like. Let's make sure he has everything he needs for the task, then give it to him. And then you leave him alone. If he's stuck, you're available to help him. So we work with Formula what? One company and we do that.
1: Well, I, I I was just thinking about some of the CEOs that I work with or speak to, who you know are working fourteen hours a day, seven days a week, and and they should be actually be doing nothing. They should be delegating it all, giving it all away, and being available. I mean, that's that's where their business stops scaling because mm-hmm. they just they can't actually work any harder.
0: Right. No. And and a no question I'd got- we, we, like to ask them, and this is you know what they should ask their subordinates you know if you can't or won't do it um and i uh, and i have to do it and i will do it then why on earth are you here (laughs) you know they have to seriously ask themselves that question to be honest
1: well and and then they say things i you know what sometimes i think it's um they don't they get that, you know, because often when somebody's stuck in something like that, that the, the current pattern of behavior serves them in some way. So they tell you that they don't want to do it, but actually it's, t- they're terrified of not being the super engineer or not being the CEO. Do you know what I mean? Their, their yep. self, their self-worth is wrapped up in being busy and being in demand. Um, And so there must be something that's, they must get some value out of. Of the, of
0: the status quo otherwise they would have already fixed it it can't be just because they can't see it no no they know but they. i, th- I think they're stuck in but they don't know what to do because they're stuck in you know it's, it's the typical dilemma that you get stuck in is that you know if i do give it to this person then to begin with it's going to take me twice as long as if i do it myself so i will hold on to it and it's uh um so so what, one of the things about that's not so well known about ellie Goldrack because most people have read the goal but but he wrote a book called it's not luck after the goal which frankly is my my favorite book um and it's it's where basically uh the the, the lead character gets promoted and he, he now runs a num- number of companies and essentially ellie's introducing him to what he calls the thinking processes so this is he's really trying to teach people to think in the way that he that Ellie thinks so he's going I'm think he's trying to teach people how to think cause and effect so he's saying if this then this um now he's breaking that into a number of different tools if you like um but but one of the tools that he has is this is this dilemma that typically goes on round and round and round and round that that people have that that they don't know how to solve Um, and and he, he teaches you how to how to recognize the dilemma you're in and that there are negative effects from it. So if you if you take that dilemma we just talked about, then you go, Okay, so so the, the the CEO's sitting there and he's saying, So, so I've I've just got to do the work. Yeah. So I'm on I'm on that side of the dilemma that I continue to I continue to do the work. Now there's a negative effect of that, is that is that if he continues to to do the work all the time, then I mean you can take it whichever way you want to take it, but you know it's maybe he 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 has no spare time to do what he wants to do. He has no etc d- d- etc. Cetera, et cetera. Or that the company remains reliant on him. No one else in that company can ever do it. You basically build up the cause and effect. Okay, but on the other side, if he gives it to the other person, then he goes, but if I give it to the other person, it doesn't get done as well, or I have to. Um, rework it and the quality goes down so what I do is I and it's like a figure of eight loop yeah so you just figure of eight looping it around so he's tried that before he tried it it didn't work it looped back and he's he's now doing it all himself Um, but there are times when what you'll see is he'll oscillate between those two behaviors so there'll be sometimes when he's just got to give it to someone else to do so he's forced to do that it goes wrong that just reinforces his belief that actually I've got to do it all myself. So I stick with that until I absolutely have to have to do it. And he just go round and round in circles. Now, Ellie comes up with some different ways of, of how you break that, how you get a breakthrough and really it's challenging our assumptions. It tends to be. So is there an assumption I can challenge? Is there some way I can get this breakthrough? And he teaches you how to do breakthroughs basically, Um, which is why I like the book. Um, And the the other reason I I, I like it is because, um, is because you know, from a uh, perspective of um, you know, what are the things I wish I'd known earlier um, that I know today? It's <laughs> definitely in that, definitely in that, in that book. Um, I, I used to be very well known in the in my organisation for going, I've got a great idea, let's go do this. This is what we're going to do now. Um, this was when when I was in in the engineering business. And I'd have all these people behind me going, oh, yeah, but what about this? Oh, yeah, but what about this? Ah, oh, you're all so negative. Come on, let's go forward. This is this is really going to work. You know, she's just full of, you know, you know, you just got to be positive. And then sure enough, some of these yes, but things would come back and back to roost. Yes, but this thing went wrong. Yes, but we had this big obstacle and I had no way of overcoming it. Um, but, but I carried on blindly doing it. And then in this book, Ellie introduces this thing which she calls the layers of buying um he goes well look if you're going to get if you want to get somebody to to do something different then there's no point in saying i've got this great solution because that, that may be a very good solution but it may be a solution to a problem i do not have yeah so therefore we've got to get agreement with that person on well what's the problem yeah. Do I, do I really have that problem? So we were talking about the CEO guy. If he doesn't agree that he's got a problem, then we're stuck. We're never going to get him to change. we are never going to get him to offload stuff. So let's agree there's a problem. Let's agree there's a negative effect. Once we've got that, um, there's a chance that we can get him to agree on a direction of solution. And that there'll be yep. benefits. So if you offload this, this is a direction of solution. Wouldn't it be great? You can spend some more time with your family. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really good. Or maybe that's really bad, and that's why it does work. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but assuming that he thinks that's a benefit, then uh, th- then we're in the, then we're stuck in the, in the in the more detailed layers, which is the yes, but layers, where we go ah oh, yes, but. And there's two sorts of yes, but. There's yes, but I have a major obstacle in doing that. The major obstacle is I do not basically know how to offload this in a way that I won't be involved later on in a timely manner, or whatever that ob- obstacle actually is. So there's obstacles, yeah. That, but there's also uh, potentially negative ramifications of doing it. So this is a red hot job. If I offload it to him, it's going to be delivered late. So it's a negative ramification. How am I going to how am I going to solve that? So there's two sorts of yes buts that you can have to a to a solution, but once you write them down experience tells me that people together will solve them if you say yes but how do i overcome the obstacle of handing it to someone then some the, the person would typically be able to give me many many ways of overcoming that if you did this if yes. you did this if you did this if you did this okay great okay suddenly uh that opens up my my mind so what's you know what's the things that If I'd known that at the time, I'd have had so many better ideas implemented in the business (laughs) um, with the full backing of the people rather than what actually happened was they went, oh, no, Andy's come up with another one of those. Um, It's going to fail. Just go with it. Uh, Well, it's
1: Um, it's funny. I I, uh, used to have a VP of customer experience when I was at P1, and and he, he would say, Dom, we would start this weekly meeting, and he'd say, Dom, what have you been thinking about this week? And I'd give him... I don't know, like ten ideas I'd had this week, and he'd say, "Dom, they're all great ideas. None of them for today. Back to the agenda." And was okay. just, and he said, he said, it might, if it was a good idea, it would keep coming back and back and back, and my persistence would wear him down. But it, it was just, he would kill everything dead to start
0: with, just to see how much I cared about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's, that's the the quote. That was That was his filter. there's a there's a famous quote from Steve Jobs as well, which says, you know, I'm more proud of the things I haven't done as as the things I have done. Um, to say that, you know, the well, fact you that, could, that I stopped, you could, didn't work on a million things I could have was was a good focus. Focus, yep.
1: focus on those rocks. So, Andy, I I don't need to ask you what it is you wish you'd known earlier because you've already. Yes, I still in. in. <laughs> And you've uh, you've also thrown in uh, a couple of book recommendations. You've got Critical Chain and It's Not Luck, both by yeah, they're both by Eliyahu. Eh?
0: So yeah, yeah, and obviously but that's they, Gold be, as well. But that's a bit yeah. biased for me just to recommend um, uh, books by Eli um, and not by anybody else. Um, what else have you What else have you read along the way that's had an impact on you? Um, I'm a big fan of all of Tony Robbins' books. To be honest with you, I think they're really good. Um, I'm not saying one in particular is better than the other, but I think they're all, uh, they've all been been very good. I've read Deming's stuff as well, quite into that.
1: But that's, uh, Tony Robbins is interesting because that would, his stuff is normally that the constraint is actually in your head.
0: Yep. Well, it made a massive it? difference like... on me. I must say I went to his his program and that's the reason I started my business. I was working for someone else and I went there and he said, you know, I was stopping you doing uh what you want to do i thought well actually probably nothing just because i'm a little bit scared of going on my own so hey let's just go um and so i did I'd, and yeah it's all worked out absolutely well. <laughs> so it's uh it's not it's, it's not not been without its challenges but yeah no i mean so it was had a, had a big influence on me you know doing fireworks and stuff like that in london is what i did and yeah it was all good. Some of it was a bit Fam- too much for me, but it was good stuff. <laughs> um, and then you were saying Deming. I think you were just saying, as I yeah, I mean Deming's is completely different. I mean he he a big um, a big impact in my early engineering career. Um, but it's it, again, it, it you know it, it, one of his famous things was was saying that look, eighty percent of the problems are are down to management. They're not down to the people, although we blame the people. Eighty percent of them are down to the management, and I think that's that's very true in all the companies I worked for. It's it's you know the management that you hold yourself accountable. As we we had two very very similar clients and um, at one stage and uh, and one of them was like absolutely flying, and the other one was making little progress at all. And you know the, the the guy from the one that was making little progress said to me, um, I, "I don't understand it." Said, "You know, this company is absolutely flying, and I'm, I'm, I'm not. You know, I'm making extremely slow progress." Said, "Okay, so, so you've you pretty much the same setup. Yep, pretty much identical. Same flows, same everything. Yep, um, same same sorts of industries you're selling into. Yep, absolutely." And um, I've got the same consultant on it. Um, we're implementing the same thing. Yep. So, you know, where, where's the difference? Where do you think the difference lies? I mean, it's fairly obvious it's going to be in, in you and the way in which you're managing things. Um, you know, you're not holding your people accountable. You're not making them do certain things. The other guy is. So that's the difference. Uh, and, and it wasn't because the people were any better in the company a, compared to company B, nothing to do with the people, is was the management. And um,
1: so. uh, did he want to confront that? Was he able to confront that? Um,
0: absolutely not, no. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't end well for us, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, but you, can sort of look at, look, you go back to Robbins, and you go that the constraint there is is his thinking, and and to be fair, in most cases, the constraint is is people's thinking. We play um, we tend to play a little like we play a little simulation, in a some of the workshops we do, and people get different results, but the simulation is exactly the same. It's like a little game, really. It's like a little arcade game, and you go, well, we get such a spread of results. It's like, how on earth can that be? What, what's, what's the only different thing? is because people made a different decision at a different point in time, um, which is which meant the way they thought about things was different. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. And we want to train people to think in a different way. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, okay. So then what, you get them to replay the game? Yeah, I get them to replay the game with thinking about flow and thinking about constraint and going, okay, so the thinking I want you to have is to think about, Okay, this isn't just a game of release stuff and make stuff. This is a game about how I control flow, which is about how I focus around the the constraint, how I release work um, based on the rate of the constraint, and you deliver, and they deliver fundamentally more, more. And the other rest, the other thing is that everybody, everybody's the same. Yeah, you know. Suddenly we uh-huh. we can predict. Suddenly we have predictability.
1: And people didn't believe that they they would ever have predictability no but so that's it goes back to that it goes back to the
0: constraint being they thinking that's stopping them solving the problem Absolutely. of thinking laterally and that's, and that's frankly why early wrote it. it's not luck uh, Was was to teach people how to think that was you know the constraint bit and the flow bit of is just one tiny element but he was really trying to say look you, you're not thinking in a logical way um you're thinking maybe emotionally or you're thinking. Um, you know, so if you come up with an idea, so let's say your your guy says, um what we're gonna do is we're gonna introduce focus time, two hours in the morning. So block yourself two hours in the morning, can't do it. Impossible for me to block two hours. So typically our next stage is to go, okay, so what about what about lunch? Okay, I don't have lunch. Okay, well that's not good. What we're gonna do straight away is we're gonna book book half an hour lunch and then we're gonna make sure you have it. So book half an hour lunch, make sure you have it. So book half an hour lunch and you sure, make sure he has it. And then you go back to him a week later and you're going, so how's that going? Are you still, yeah, I'm still booking my lunch and I'm still taking it. Brilliant. So now we've just got to get focus time on here. Um, so now let's get some, let's book some focus time. Cause you thought there was an obstacle before. Now there's, there's not an obstacle. So um, it's, we're just trying to challenge people's thinking a little bit and teach them that actually, what they perceive to be an obstacle in many cases is not an obstacle. Yeah. If you get someone to write it down, most of the times they'll dismiss them themselves and say, that's a load of rubbish. That's a, that's a load of absolute nonsense. That's not going to stop me doing that. Or that's never going to happen. That's certainly our experience. There are still some things that you have to overcome, but 20% of them are a figment of the imagination that make, makes no sense. Yeah. It's nonsense <laughs> when you write it down. Yeah. <laughs> like, Andy, that's brilliant. I was I was just
1: thinking as you were talking there, sometimes I say to clients, we should be doing a daily huddle and they say, oh, I've got time. I've got time to do that. Yeah. I've got time. And then, you know, you get them to do it and they're like, oh, save, save an hour. So I'm spending 15 minutes in the morning. I'm saving at least an hour. It's great. Yeah. I wish I'd done, you know, where else could I do something like this? I'd yeah.
0: save more time. Absolutely. Just getting people aligned and saying, yeah, just time is time is a key thing and people misuse it. And, and also doing just just changing certain little things. So there's a another little thing that we do from an engineering perspective. So if you ask me on a project environment or an engineer or anything, then people tend to ask, uh, "How long is that going to take you? How long is it going to take you to do that?" Go, oh dear. How long is that going to take me? So when I, when they ask me that question, you're thinking, "Well, I'm not even going to get to it for two weeks." So um, and then yeah, probably won't have half a staff and these people will be missing so let's go for let's plump for four weeks let's just pitch something out there let's see if they accept that or not maybe there's a bit of pushback and we have a bit of discussion and we plump for three so i go brilliant so so now what we've done is we've gone from an estimate to a commitment as far as they're concerned i've committed to three weeks i am i'm going to deliver something and i've also got in my mind three weeks i'm delivering that so i go back back to doing the other the other bits and pieces, because I've already worked out in my head that it's two or three days task that. So when am I going to start that task? Probably two or three days before the end of three weeks. Um, I'll do everything else that I'd committed myself for. And then I do my two or three day task, which turns into five days or six days. And goodness knows what happens. Um, and and I deliver late. And I deliver late. And that just compounds it. So d- despite the fact that we add loads and loads of safety and we waste it. So the the behaviour change in the way we think has got to be totally different. It's not a commitment. It's not a. We, we should be asking, you know, h- how long touch time. You know, how long do you really need for that task, and what do you need to complete the task, um, and what does good look like, and then then we'll we'll just release the task at, at the right point in time when it hits the when it's prioritised correctly. So all about the way you think, Dom.
1: Brilliant, Andy. Thank you very much indeed for coming on the show today.
0: Ah, oh, thanks for the invite. Um, maybe you can grab yourself um, a little bit of a break. Come in between the next <laughs> one. <laughs> thank you.